Well, good morning. It's good to see you all and uh, great to have all of you who are joining us uh, online uh, this morning. Um, and real exciting just about uh, what God's going to end up doing through us as a church. Um, for youth on their own. Just like keep that in your prayers. I'm excited about just how God can use us uh, there. And uh, this morning, uh, we will be uh, starting a new series. So starting uh, this new series that in some ways is, I hope that it helps us all see ourselves maybe in a fresh way as we go through this series. You know, when I was in middle school, um, I was a typical middle schooler. Like I was, uh, you know, goofy and weird and uh, maybe more hyperactive than the average uh, middle schooler. Um, I, uh, I grew up at this church. And so in middle school, you know, like uh, I climbed on top of all the buildings that we had uh, back in middle school. Not, and we try not to promote that now. Okay. And, and not that it was promoted back then. I kind of did that on my own. Um, but you know, when it came to middle school ministry, I, like I was a typical middle schooler and I didn't, you know, when I showed up, I loved it. I didn't think about it much uh, during the week. It was just, you know, it was that thing. And there were um, adult leaders and I love the adult leaders uh, that I had and the difference that they made in my life. But again, like I just showed up and I let them do whatever. And then I was off to my own thing as a middle schooler and, you know, goofy and, you know, squirrely and everything that middle schoolers are right until, and this is where this uh, changed. Um, the, our youth leader, my youth leader back then, uh, was Gary Schrader. And one day Gary Schrader uh, had this chat with me and I can't even remember where it was, but I'm a middle schooler. I want you to picture this, right? I'm a middle schooler, you know, and Gary's, uh, had, Gary had a unique ability to see people and understand just maybe what they couldn't even see in themselves. Gary had a way of seeing that. And as a pastor, he had this beautiful way of, of trying to bring that out. And so he had this conversation with me and I'm a middle schooler, you know, I'm just like, I'm just like you know, I want to go out and do, you know, whatever. And he had talked about, uh, we were going to be launching this new ministry in middle school that he was all excited about. And I'd heard about it and I was excited about it. It was great. Um, but he said to me, he said, you know, um, with all the different groups, I want you to lead one of those groups. Huh? <laughs> like, and my whole experience had been, um, there were adults that led all of those different groups. I had been into those groups. I grew up at this church and you want me to, huh? Like, like, like it just, and then he started explaining, you know, like, uh, what it would mean to lead one of these groups and some of the interaction and the games we would do and the lessons and all this different stuff. And, and as he kind of brought that out, I, it landed with me in a way that I started to just see myself differently. Like all of a sudden, like I'm going to be showing up on Wednesday nights and it's not just, you know, show up and try and be cool or try, try. it's like all of a sudden, like I started thinking about all of these different things that I never thought about uh, before. And, and it hit me that like, I started thinking about my peers differently. Like I thought about them before they would show up to the group because I was thinking about, okay, I, you know, Gary's talking to me about like what we're trying to do this week and, and this sort of thing. Um, it changed how I saw myself. It changed how I saw church. 
in so many different ways. Because he changed the way I saw myself, it changed the way I showed up. Like literally, it changed my behavior and my outlook when I showed up. And there's a great, just basic truth uh, to all of that that I want you to think about in this. And it's this, if you change uh, someone's understanding of themselves, they will change how they show up in life. Ever have someone do that for you? Ever have a coach or a teacher that had that way of seeing something in you and, and they got you to just see yourself in a new or fresh way and all of a sudden you found yourself showing up in life differently. Maybe you took more of a leadership role. Maybe, maybe you took more of a relational role. Maybe, maybe uh, you became more committed to something. Maybe you found the joy in something that you had never seen uh, before or experienced. And it was simply because, right? It was simply because uh, they changed how you saw yourself, right? Because this is true in me, but it's also true in you we show up differently based on how we see ourselves. And there's something that you see in scripture and there's something about God. He wants us to know who we are. Because the more we understand who we are in God, it just, we will land in life differently in this. And so throughout this series, one of the things that we wanna do is look at this a little bit. like. And we're going to use a very particular imagery that is given in scripture that talks about who we are that will help us uh, maybe um, live life out a little differently here. But I'm going to warn you on this one. You're not expecting, I, 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 I can almost guarantee you're, you haven't thought of this imagery as to this is who I am. And yet it's in scripture. And we're gonna look at a passage in the New Testament uh, here in a minute on it. Um, and the imagery that gets used for this is you are a priest. I told you, right? Because some of you right now, you're going, I'm not a priest, right? I'm married, right? I'm not a priest, right? I don't like collars. Don't priests wear collars? And I just like, and you know, for some of you, you may come from a background and you're just like, priests, I don't have like good feelings or thoughts when I think about priests. And so that's, or some of you, it's just like, that's really weird, Glenn, right? A priest, right? I know. I, I think about just like the way priests dress and I, I don't even like to wear suits, right? And I think about priests and they always like wearing robes and collars and stuff in this thing, right? So, um, but let's look at the passage. Let's look at the passage and begin to unpack it. And this was written by uh, one of the apostles, Peter. Uh, and so this is found in 1 Peter chapter two, 1 Peter chapter two. So uh, let's, let's look at this here. And, and sure enough, he's, you'll see, right? Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, but you are a chosen people, and here it is, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So he uses this imagery, he says, you, like, you are a royal priesthood. Um, here, now, uh, what he's doing, this is not just random, okay? He's not just going, well, what imagery should I use to help them understand who they are? 
priest. Oh, I'll use that, right? He's actually lifting uh, this illustration out of a very specific passage in the Old Testament, a very specific story. And, and I want you to understand why he chooses it and, and what he's doing uh, with this. So um, this, he lifts it out of this story uh, on the Exodus story. And it occurs right after the Jews have escaped Egypt. And he's going to actually use some of the same language. He just borrows a lot of the language from the story. So they make it through the Red Sea. They've escaped Pharaoh. They're set free. And then God uh, begins to gather them up and he is shifting their identity, right? When they go through the Red Sea, they go from being slaves to free. And now he gathers them up and he's got, a, like, there's another level of their identity, their, un, their understanding of who they are that he wants them to understand. And he does this at Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai becomes this kind of imagery for them, right? They would have thought in very concrete terms. And they would have thought, like, God is up on the mountain. And they would have watched Moses, right, who was their leader, who had this kind of very direct relationship with God. They would have watched that. And they would have watched Moses go up the mountain, right? And he's, like, getting to meet directly with God up there. And then Moses would come down, right? So there's all of this imagery going on. And then one day uh, God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to give you some very specific things that I want you to tell the people that are going to help establish their understanding of my desire of how I want to relate to them. So I want us to go back and look at this story and actually look at what God is telling Moses to say to the people. And this is found in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. And starting with verse five, it says this. And again, these are words he's speaking to Moses and Moses is gonna go back and, and speak these same words to the people. So it's as if he's saying these to the people. He says, now, if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant. Um, and that covenant is about a relationship. If you're true to the relationship. And at this point, they don't have the law. They don't even have the 10 commandments at this uh, point. He says, if you keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Sound familiar, right? That's the exact language that Peter was using. You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, and here's what I want you to catch, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, right? That's exactly what Peter says. Um, but this idea that you will be a kingdom of priests. Now, the people at this time, like they would have, un they would have had a notion of what a priest was because virtually every nation, every kingdom had priests, every people group that they would have known of. And of course, they would have understood this idea that the priests are the ones that have the direct connection with God, right? They would have understood nations that have priests. So the bulk of the people would be at a distance from God. And then there'd be this small group of priests and they would have a direct connection to God and they would be like the, the mediator between God and the people and the people are at a distance, right? And there's this big old mountain and they're like, yeah, we get this, right? Like Moses, he's like our priest. He goes up the mountain, he talks to God, he comes back down. We're at the base of the mountain, he talks to us. That's what they would have understood. But that's not what God says here, right? God says, you will be a kingdom of priests, not a kingdom with priests. What he's saying is, 
I want to have a direct connection with all of you. The way you've thought of priests having a direct connection. Do you see the difference? This is no small thing, right? This is God saying, I, I, my covenant, my, the relationship that I want to establish with you, I, I want to interact with all of you directly. I don't want you at a distance. I want you with me. I don't want to relate to you through an intermediator. I, I want to be directly connected with you in this whole thing. And we look at this and we go, that is precious. That is beautiful. That is wonderful, right? And, and if we didn't know the rest of the story, right? And, and if I wasn't setting this up like I'm setting it up right now, we would all go. And the people were like, oh, so awesome. And then they just wait for God to say, come up to the mountain. And they all go up to the mountain and have a great time, right? But that's not what happens, right? Um, Moses goes and he ex explains this to the people and he sets up this day when this is going to happen. He says, like on this day, instead of just Moses going up the mountain, here's what I'm going to do. There's going to be this uh, ram's horn that's going to blast. And at the sound of that horn, all of you are invited to come up the mountain and be with me. And I'm going to establish you as a kingdom of priests. Only that's not how it went down. Um, one chapter later, uh, we see all of this play out. So in Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 18, here's what uh, uh, begins to happen. And God was always manifesting himself on this mountain. And the closer the day came, right, the, the, the closer God seemed, uh, like it, the, you feel the tension building. It says this in verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet, there's the trumpet, it's now to come up, heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear, it says. And then one of the saddest uh, little lines in all the scripture, they stayed at a distance. The invitation, right? Be with God. Like, like there doesn't need to be anything between God and you, but they choose to stay at a distance, it says. In verse 19, it says, and this is what they say to Moses. And they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. They're just like, like, mm. and what's going on here is they've got this fear and, and you say, well, like, what's the fear? Like God was explicit. Like he invited them to come forward and they have watched God work. They have seen God's faithfulness in all of this. But here's the thing that's playing out, right? It is one thing to follow this God and everything stays at a distance. There's actually something kind of safe about that. But to start drawing near to God inevitably leaves them with, with, a, with this question that they don't have a good answer for. And it's this, is God good with me? Like, I trust that Moses, because he seems like really spiritual, right? I'm sure God is good with Moses. Moses can go up the mountain. 
Maybe there's some other people in my tribe and they seem like really holy people, right? They're really well behaved and they like, they like, but me, uh, like, I, like, like I've got a few secrets and I don't know, like, is God really good with me? And that fear, the closer that gets, it begins to play out. And I think, I think that that is a question at some level. We as human beings, we all ask this. We all struggle with this thing of, is God good with me? Um, years and years ago, when I was uh, much newer in ministry, and I was actually uh, pastoring a church in Michigan, and um, I had a conversation uh, with a guy that his family, some of his family had, was coming to my church, and they, um, uh, they were related to him, but uh, I think they were uh, like, uh, like cousins. And they finally talked him into coming and seeing me because he was on, um, uh, not, uh, he was on bail. Uh, he had gotten in a bunch of trouble. He had lived kind of like uh, just a, like the perfect life for the longest time because his parents owned this grocery store chain. Um, and it's like he, he wanted for nothing. He gets into his early twenties and he still wants a little bit more. He gets involved with drugs and before, and he just makes all of these little uh, choices. And this is how he described it. He just kept making all these little choices until finally he's now dealing with drugs at, at, a, at a high enough level that he gets caught in a sting operation. And this guy like in his mid to late 20s, all of a sudden is facing a lot, a lot of jail time. And uh, I finally got to sit down with him and talk with him. And, and he grew up in the church and he would even say, yep, I, like, I, like I'm a Christian and I, but he was like, I, I just think God doesn't wanna have anything to do with me anymore. In fact, at one point I said, can I pray for you? And he goes, I, I mean, yeah, but like, I don't know that God would want me here with you right now, you know, cause I don't, and I go, are you, do you feel like God like doesn't even wanna hear from you? And he goes, well, I, I said, whoa, like where, and I, and it was missed on me the gravity of how much he was wrestling with this. And as I talked with him more about it, it was just this thing where it's like, like, I think I've gone so far at this point that like God's not gonna give me any more chances. God's kind of given up on me. In fact, I need to be really careful because if I get too close to God, if I assume too much uh, about God, like if I start praying for God to help me through this or to get out of this, that might make God even more mad at me. And I was really taken back that there was just this level of, I am so worried about, is, is God good with me? And you know, that's, a stream, that's an extreme kind of example. And I watched it play out, but you know, over the years, I've watched it play out with me at times. I've watched it play out with many, many others. I, I just, I think it's something that we all have moments where we struggle in thinking, is God really good with me? And there's something that we have that we hold. Maybe it's sin. Maybe we feel like we failed at something. Maybe we feel like we weren't faithful to God in some way. And we struggle to feel like it's okay to get close to God. Ever have a moment like that? Better yet, do you know anyone that struggles that way? 
Is there someone that like, you've had a conversation about God with them and they're like, yeah. And you can tell they're resistant, not because they don't believe it, but there's, you can tell that they feel like I, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to show up to church. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to be praying for that. Cause like, I don't think God really wants to hear from me. And you know, that's not just a random thing. They're feeling that because there's some, there's tension that they have. Have I done something? Have I not done something? And they just feel like, I don't know if I'm okay with God. And I think that's something that people go through where there's moments where we feel like, you know what? It would just be more appropriate if I stay at the bottom of the mountain. And I bet we all know people who struggle with that. You know, the Israelites, they don't go up the mountain. They hold back. Um, and so God walks them down a different path. This doesn't become the moment where they actually become that beautiful nation or kingdom of priests. But they still have the issue of, is God okay with me, right? That doesn't go away with the distance. Maybe we bury it down a little bit. And that's what happened with them. And so God does this interesting thing. He starts with Moses and Aaron in the role of priests. And then he actually works in a whole class of priests and this whole priestly system. Because part of what these priests would do um, is they would actually walk people through being in this place where they could feel like they could approach God in some way. In fact, part of the role of the priest in all of this was to walk them through the process. And there were like ceremonies and there were the sacrifices and all of these things that they did that was all about helping people deal with the guilt and shame that they held in their heart. That if they did something wrong um, or failed at something, like God provided a way and it was a kind of gift that they wouldn't have to go on in ambiguity of whether or not like, it's like, would God forgive me? It's like the priest would actually help them walk through these very concrete steps that they could go through and at the end go, okay, okay, God is okay with me. But of course the problem with the system was um, it didn't last, right? Because then if you turned around and you did something wrong the next day, it's like, okay, is God good? Is, you know, what's, what's going on now? Am I okay now? And it became this ongoing cycle of things. And in one sense, it was beautiful that God provided this sense of like forgiveness in a concrete way, but they kept getting pulled back into it. And the truth is, even today, right? We still struggle with this at some level, but here's where it all changed, right? That old system, um, for as good as it was, it had its flaws, but that all changed, didn't it? And what did it change with? Jesus, like Jesus comes and we have this picture of Jesus as being like the great high priest, the high priest that makes a sacrifice for sins for all people, one, right, one and only sacrifice. There's no more sacrifices that need to be made. It is like this kind of forgiveness that when we trust him in faith, we find forgiveness and it is permanent. It is forever. It is, it is for all of our wrongdoings, right? There's this beautiful thing that we see in that. Um, 
So when you think about, and the reason I say that is because when you think about this idea that when we look at what Peter says, and he says, and you, you're like, you're a royal priesthood, right? What he's not saying that is when you think of yourself as a part of that royal priesthood, that we're leading people back to like a Levitical law of sacrifices. No, we're not leading people there. Where are we leading people to? to Jesus, right? We're not leading people back to an Old Testament system of righteousness and all the rules. I mean, we're leading people back to Jesus. But don't miss that part of the role of the priest, one of the main roles of the priest was to help people when they struggled over that issue, to find stability, to find that place of peace in that. That's the role of the priest, was to help people find that peace and knowing that God is providing a way of forgiveness to them. So what does that mean for us then? I wanna, I wanna just take this a little bit uh, deeper in all of this. Um, because if we're to be a part of that royal priesthood, all of a sudden that means there's something to you that, that has a role in this world, right? Because we still live in a world where people get weighed down by sin and shame and guilt in ways that are paralyzing that want to keep them at a distance from God. And so when we see someone that's struggling with, can I be forgiven? Does God want to forgive me? We're pointing them towards Jesus. When someone is struggling over, does God really love me or is he holding something against me? As a priest, right, there's this role of helping them with that, that issue. We're pointing them back to Christ. You know, when you think about what Peter writes when he says you are a royal priesthood, one of the things that stands out is this dream that God has for a community of people that all have a direct connection and relationship to him, never died. It didn't, that day at the base of Mount Sinai when the people won't go up, God didn't say, okay, that was a bad idea. Uh, you know, we'll go with something else. That was, that has still been God's dream and God's desire. And with the advent of Christ came the opportunity that the world had for the thing that God dreamed of to actually become a reality. And I think as followers of Christ, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, you've experienced that. Maybe you experience that on a daily basis. I mean, I hope so. Like that, there's a beautiful thing to that. But what Peter is getting at in this moment is there something more for you and I than to just seek to have that with ourselves? Part of the dream is, can we help others? Because that was the role of the priest. The role of the priest wasn't just about themselves. God said to those priests, okay, your job, part of your role is to, that when you see, when someone comes to you and they're struggling, what can you do to help them see the beauty and find their way up that mountain? And what I want to say is, that's your role. If you're a follower of Christ, 
You're a part of that royal priesthood. You know what? Uh, and he adds some unique language to this and it's royal. The thing that makes this a royal priesthood is Jesus is infused in this. We're not having to walk them through ritual to find forgiveness in what they, in their own works, right? Because it's already been done in Christ. So I, I want to just take a couple of, I want to I point out a couple of things this morning in a practical way of how you and I can live this out. And I hope this has the effect of, right? When I go back and I think about, you know, Gary Schrader and saying, Glenn, I'm going to ask you to lead a group here. And I was like, whoa, okay. But I, I, I want to understand this. What does this mean? And it, and it changed the way I showed up. I want, in a similar way, I want all of us to be thinking about, I'm a priest. Okay, that's weird. But as I understand what it means to be a part of the royal priesthood, I hope it causes you to show up differently in all the places that you're already showing up. I hope it causes you to show up at work a little differently. I hope it causes you to show up in your family a little bit. I hope it causes you to see that you have something to offer that assuages this thing that weighs down so many people in our world. And, and Christians and non-Christians alike, in moments where we just feel the tension and there's something going on in our heart and our mind, we just go, I don't think I should be going up the mountain. I think I should stay at a distance from God, right? Those are sad words. When it says, and they stayed at a distance. And you know, that happens in, a, in an emotional way, in a spiritual way, so often with believers and non-believers. And yet all of us as priests, we have a role to actually help people find their way through Jesus back to God in a direct way. So two things, two things in a really practical way uh, here that I wanna uh, point out first. Don't confuse the role of prophet and priest, okay? So I've talked a bunch about the role of the priest, and we're going to talk more about that as this series goes on. Um, you know, sometimes uh, we think of ourselves as uh, taking on the role of, of the prophet, and in particular, like that Old Testament role of a prophet. And there was a small handful of people that you see back in the Old Testament that uh, were of a very particular kind of prophet in which uh, not all of them, but many of them, like they would travel around, they'd go around and they would point out everything that the nation of Israel was doing wrong. They would like, they would get up and shout, you know, like this is a sin and that is a sin and that is a sin. And they would come up with extraordinary ways to illustrate it. And they were adjutants. They would, they would get people frustrated and they would shout these things. And you know, like that's wrong. They would do all this. A lot of times with the leaders, right? Um, that was one of the roles of an Old Testament prophet. When Peter says, you are a royal priesthood, that's not what he means, okay? In fact, it's interesting when you look at the role of the priest, the priest didn't go out and look for sinners and say, hey, you're a sinner. Now let me walk you through, you know, this process. The whole thing was built on the idea that, um, and picture yourself like in ancient times, right? And you get into a squabble with your neighbor and you like, you do damage to his property and you did it in a rage. And all of a sudden you find you're just like, oh, I sinned. You know, you look at the Old Testament law there, you know, line 22, there's, ah, oh, and now you're feeling it. In that place of saying, now I am holding this sense of shame or guilt. 
Is God okay with me? You had a place to go. You could go to the temple. You could go to the tabernacle. You could go to the priest. And the priest would say, I can help you with that. Let me walk you through. I'll be with you and I will walk you through the steps so that when you leave here, you know God is good with you. Do you see the the gift in that? That's the thing I want you to picture in this, right? The role that he's talking about for us as the church is in a world, right? Picture this, right? In a world where every, every, and I promise you, People can cover it up and act like they're not carrying any guilt, any shame, right? But all human beings do because we're human beings. And in a world like that, what helps them in our world? Uh, What happens when the church starts, you know, Hey, we think that's a sin and we're going to declare you a sin. We're going to shout from the mountaintops. We're going to call you out. We're going to go on the offensive and make sure you... What happens when we take on that kind of role most often? Typically not good things, right? Typically people go, I feel like you're attacking me is, is how they most often react. But what happens, right? What do people need when they feel guilt They want a safe place. What would happen if we, right, as a royal priesthood said, okay, what would it mean for us to be a safe place that helped people that were struggling? And sometimes it's over guilt or shame. Sometimes it's just, I don't think I'm enough. I I can't think of a good reason why God would care about me. I just like, like, we hold everything. As followers of Christ, we hold a message. We, we hold scripture. We have all these things that can help one another and help a world outside understand how God really thinks about them. Take on the role, take on the role of a priest. You know, one of the things uh, that you see in this is uh, oftentimes people struggle with the idea that like, okay, uh, you know, maybe God wants to forgive me, but uh, man, I bet he's reluctant. What do I need to do to make sure that God will forgive me? We miss this. There's a simple truth to this that I, that I just, I want you to see in this. It is God's delight to have forgiven you and say, if you're a follower of Christ this morning, Jesus did not begrudgingly forgive you of your sins. He did not begrudgingly sacrifice his life. He wanted to do it. It was his pleasure. And I, in fact, I want to I read to you one passage of scripture. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to read this to you. This is found in Ephesians chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter one. In fact, I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation because the New Living Translation actually captures the meaning in this so well. Here's what Paul writes, in, in, starting in verse five. Ephesians, 1 chapter, or Ephesians chapter one, verse five says this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. There's that picture, right? If you want to use the mountain, through Jesus, he brings us up to the mountain, right? He brings, we are brought to God through him. But this next part, this is so gorgeous, right? This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. 
Oh my gosh, be a priest in a moment that there's someone, right, that's sitting in front of you. There's someone, be something safe and help them understand, right? In a moment of, of great guilt or something, you get to be a voice to say, okay, that may be true of what you did, but you need to know that it is God's pleasure to forgive you because he loves you. He cares about you. We don't serve a begrudging God who reluctantly agrees to save us or forgive us because I guess there's no other way, but you better appreciate this, right? That's not how he comes at this. He comes at this because he cares about us. And that's what a, a priest would help people understand that. Next thing, next thing, last thing here. Remind them of how God really thinks of them. And I started kind of going down this path, but remind them of how God really thinks of them. And, and the key to this one that I want you to understand in this is oftentimes when we're in that space of feeling weighted down or not enough or whatever, we oftentimes think, um, I need to get my act together and then I can ask God to help me out, right? Or we think of it as, okay, I've blown it or I need to do more. I need to be a better Christian. Even if it's not over sin, I just need to be a better Christian. I need to pray more, or read my Bible more, or whatever. And if I do that, then God will start to care about me in my life. That's not how God works. It doesn't matter what you do. God is for you. God is working in providential ways to help you, to make your life better, to bring you along, right? It's not a conditional kind of love. There's something that's beautiful that comes up out of the story in Exodus. In fact, um, if you look back at Exodus 19, right? We earlier, I read verse five where, and this is verse five is where he makes the invitation. Come, be, be a nation of priests to me. But I love verse five. Four, because he, and, and the key here is he tells us what happened before he made the offer. And I love this. Uh, look at verse four, Exodus 19, verse four. So he's talking to Moses, right? And he says, Moses, tell the people this. And here's what he asks them to tell them. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. See, he's saying, let the people know that no matter what they say, yes or no, in this moment, even before they knew I wanted to be their God, even before they lifted a finger to obey me or follow me, it didn't matter because I was already seeking to rescue them out of slavery. Right? God is working because he cares about you and me and everyone. Even before we w are willing to trust him or follow him. And there's something to be said that we as priests, right? There's a thing that we get to do. And I, that just sounds funny saying we as priests, okay? In that role, right? We get to remind people and help them see where God has already been working in their lives even if they didn't know it. One of the things I love to do with friends of mine that aren't even followers of Christ yet is when I get to have conversations and I hear them telling a story and all of a sudden I get to say, well, you know, it's almost 
like God was helping you out in that moment. Well, yeah. I'd, I mean, if I didn't know better, I'd think God likes you. <laughs> that lands so different, doesn't it? To be the kind of person that can look into another person's life and in the same way Gary Schrader looked at me as a middle schooler and was like, Glenn, God's got plans for you. Step into this thing, right? You can do the same thing. Um, some years ago, I had a friend, his name was Ollie. And uh, uh, he had a restaurant and I got to know him uh, pretty well because I would study in there. It's kind of a cafe restaurant. I'd study in there, got to know him. And then um, at some point, it's like I didn't see him as often and, and I could kind of tell things were trailing off in not so good a way in his life. I didn't know all that was going on until later. Uh, then I just stopped seeing him all together. Um, and one day I ran into his wife and his daughter and they shared with me that, that yeah, he wasn't doing well at all. In fact, um, uh, he uh, was struggling with some pretty severe addictions. Um, he himself uh, got involved in selling drugs and got arrested for it. Um, and his wife had shared like, and like he's wrecking his life, he's wrecking our marriage, he's wrecking our business, like everything. And she was actually going through the steps of, of divorce. Um, and then, I just thought it was like I wasn't going to see Ollie again. And then all of a sudden, one day I ran into him and he told me the most amazing story. And he said, yeah, Glenn, I, I was blowing up my life and I blew it up so bad. And he said, and I don't blame it at all. My wife left me. My uh, daughter uh, hardly had any relationship with her. And I helped do her wedding at one point. Um, and he said, I... I don't know what I was thinking. I blew up my life. And he said, but the most amazing thing happened. I was like, really? Because what you're describing, you should be in jail right now. And you're, you're here. Are you on the run right now? What's, what's going on right now? And he said, no. He said, um, I got out. I got right back in trouble before my case was even finished. And they threw the book at me. He said, I was sitting in Florence prison waiting for final sentencing. And my lawyer said, I've done everything I can, but you're, you're going to serve some long, long years. And he said, I was sitting in my cell and I had given up. I just felt like, and he said, I, I prayed and I said, God, I'm sorry. And I don't deserve anything else. And I know I'm not gonna get anything else. He said, I just felt completely abandoned and I felt like I deserved it. Low, low point. He gets transferred, or not transferred, uh, just a, they send him down to Tucson um, one afternoon for some sort of hearing that was involved with the sentencing. His lawyer said, it's gonna be a simple thing. It's only gonna take 10 minutes, but you've gotta be present in front of the judge. And it's, you're just gonna go through this thing, but there's a very long sentence uh, coming. So he gets down here and he says, Glenn, I get in front of the judge and I'm at the lowest point in my life. And he said, the judge starts asking me these weird questions about my dad and about what my dad did. And he asked me again about my name. He says, your name's, you know, Ollie. He goes, yeah. And he goes, and I asked him his last name. Yeah. And he goes, and your dad owned a, owned a mechanic uh, shop. And he goes, yeah. And he said, well, <clears throat> Ollie, um, you're not going back to prison today. He's like, what? He goes, you're not going back to prison today. And this judge 
showed up in this moment. He saw an opportunity. He showed up in such a different way than he could have. And he said to Ollie, he said, you know, a long time ago, my dad went to jail and he served some time and he got out of jail and he said no one would give him a job. He tried and tried and tried and he wanted, he wanted to make things right and no one would give him a job. And I could just see, even as a little kid, it was, it was tearing my family apart. And then there was a guy that owned an auto shop and it was your dad and he gave my dad a job and that changed everything in my family. He gave my dad a job and it gave my dad a chance to get back on his feet. It gave him a sense of pride again. It pulled him back up. And Ollie, the light that your dad shone through my dad that shone in my life, because I don't know where I would be if my family would have blown up. Today, I want to help you. And so instead of going back to prison, Ollie, I'm going to put you in a rehab program. I'm going to put you in more than one rehab program. I'm going to give like, and walked him through this thing. And what I want you to understand is in that moment, that judge, he stepped in in a little bit, like the role of a priest. He looked at this opportunity and saw this guy at his lowest point ever and realized there, maybe there's, maybe there's a chance that there's something that I can do in this moment, right? And it changed everything about Ollie. In fact, Ollie walked out of there and he told me, he said, Glenn, I walked out of there and I felt like, oh my gosh, God's gonna, God's grace has found me again. And he said, that's when I knew I had to hang on to God's grace for everything I was worth. But you know why that happened? Because somebody showed up that day and it was a judge and said, I can do something about this. And friends, that's you, that's me. Every day we get to show up. We get, we get to show up and be something in people's lives that can lift them up, but not just up, lift them up towards who they are in God and the grace and the forgiveness and the love that they have in God. That's what it is to be a royal priest. So my challenge is, Tomorrow, wherever you show up, show up knowing you hold something in your heart that can point people toward Jesus in a way that can change everything about their life. You have the pleasure and the joy of getting to be that wherever you go, friends. Why don't you stand? And I'm going to close this uh, in prayer uh, here. And let me just say, as I close this out, if you're visiting, if you're new, I'm going to be right over here at the tables and or the tables right over here. And we have what we call just a welcome party over there. And it's just a chance for myself and a few others just to shake your hand and welcome you uh, here this morning. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, I just thank you so much uh, for the image that you give and your invitation that you want to be with people in a direct way. And may you help us be a shining light to other people wherever we are of the beauty of your son, Jesus Christ, and the grace and the forgiveness that is found in him. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you next week. <laughs>